Denise, your host of The Cell. I invite you to listen to our program every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. I would also like to thank you for listening to Community Radio on WGRN LP 94.1 FM, Columbus. I'd like to welcome our listeners back. We have with us today Mr. Philip Boughton, as a program manager uh, at the Columbus Public Health Department. And we also have Cody Harding, who is also a program coordinator uh, with the Columbus Health Department. And they're going to be talking to us about lead poisoning today and things that you can do to help prevent lead poisoning. You know, what they do for the Columbus Public Health and helping uh, communities and individuals uh, to deal with lead poisoning. Hello, Philip and Cody. Hi, everyone. Hi there. And we also have with us there Mr. Ernest Kelly. Hi, Ernie. Hello, guys. Welcome to the the program. What we'd like to have our listeners know, just a little bit about you. So if you could share a little bit of your background and how you came to be in your current position. And so if one one of you can go first and then the next one take it after that, I'd appreciate it. Go ahead, Philip. Okay. Um, Well, I've I've been working at Columbus Public Health since uh, 2002, and I was hired to help start up the Healthy Homes program where we were focusing on asthma as well as lead at that time. And now now we've kind of recentered our focus on lead in the last couple of years. Okay. Cody, could you tell I'll share a bit of, with our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure thing. Um, I joined Columbus Public Health back in 2016. Um, I'm a licensed uh, registered sanitarian in the state of Ohio. I came over from the um, the food protection program initially over into Healthy Homes, and that would have been in last August of 2020. A little bit newer to the program than Philip is. He's a he's a veteran. Yeah, we're both <laughs> licensed lead risk assessors for the state of Ohio. Okay, so Philip, since you're the veteran, I'd like for you to tell us. Uh, what Healthy Programs is all about, and how did the the Columbus Public Health Department decide to come up with this program? Well, uh, we started focusing on lead actually back, way back around 1995, when I think it was Title 10 was passed, where for HUD, focusing on lead poisoning, um, the, the program's been around ever since. Uh, lead levels, however, for our action for our response to the community when kids are poisoned has been going down over that time period. When I first started, the action level was, I think, around 20, and it's gone down now to five uh, for um, the level of lead and blood that we respond to for when children are lead poisoned. What do you mean by action level? Well, you know, lead's a neurotoxin, and there's actually no safe level lead in the human body. Uh, especially for children who are still developing and, and life can interfere with that development and, and actually cause permanent damage. And as we come to understand that more and more and the effects at lower levels, where traditionally we actually used to look at things like how much can the body tolerate? And now we're you know, understanding how little it takes to hurt the human body um, and interfere with children's development. That those levels have gone down as as we've been able to increase our capacity to address those um, hazards at that lower level that are causing problems for kids and poisoning them and uh, and we've been able to you know successfully I think address those lower levels and eventually you know it'll probably go down a little more 
um, maybe in the next you know two to five years we'll probably see another decrease as the level of as the levels across the population actually go down and that's part of the formula used by the CDC what is your lead poisoning prevention program about uh, well our primary focus right now is on lead poisoning prevention um, we call ourselves a healthy homes program so we can answer questions about the home environment in general you know a lot of people have questions about mold and and odors and and things that they think are, might be making them sick in the home environment but what we go out in the field to do and what we spend most of our time doing is the lead poisoning investigations cody what is lead poisoning can you explain that to our listeners yes so lead poisoning lead is a um it's a very heavy metal and it's toxic once it's ingested into the body usually Children are the ones that get affected with it because of uh, certain behaviors like hand-to-mouth behavior when they have contamination on their hands. Um, that's the most common route. But the the lead gets in the body, and uh, it's it's going to affect. It's a neurotoxin, so it's going to affect your your um, central nervous system, which is going to include your brain. And for the young children, it's going to affect motor skills and things like that as they're developing. What causes lead poisoning? Uh, lead poisoning is caused by the ingestion of the lead metal. So common sources, um, big one's going to be um, old paint um, and pre-1978 paint. Lead is uh, pretty pretty common in that. Um, also, lead can be found in um, herbs and spices if they're not properly inspected and coming from an appropriate source. And also at times in uh, older toys, you know, with uh, lead paint coatings, similar things like that. What are some of the uh, symptoms of lead poisoning? So oftentimes we don't see acute symptoms in kids, and uh, we might see, you know, effects later on, um, you know, that can, and lead can cause things like hyperactivity, loss of attention span, maybe loss of some IQ points. But acute symptoms include things like abdominal pain, constipation, uh, headache, irritability, fatigue, loss of appetite, memory loss. And we might see those in kids who have higher level poisonings over a long period of time. Um, Michigan, the the pipes. You know, we had mm-hmm. that big thing where all the kids, the pipes were real bad, and I guess they were made of lead. And in a certain part of Michigan, the kids were drinking, or the whole community was drinking water that had lead in it. So what is it that we as a community here in Columbus how do how do you do you guys address that or how do we address that? Yeah, well I think we've been really lucky with the way, you know, the, the water is handled and managed in the city of Columbus. Um and the problem with Flint was that they changed the source of the water uh from the I forget which lake it is, um, but to a river. Um, which had different chemistry, and they didn't adjust the water in the pipes for that chemistry, and it oh. caused the lead to be to leach out. Um, and, you know, the water here is pretty stable. We have groundwater. The problem with the river water is the chemistry I can actually change from hour to hour, day to day, that mm-hmm. you're getting from the source water. And, and in the city of Columbus, um, you know, we have different sources. You know, we have groundwater and surface water. We've been monitoring. We've been taking water samples from households of all our kids that are have the higher level poisonings of that uh, 10 micrograms per deciliter of blood and up, and we haven't found any elevated levels in the water. Most of it, almost all of it, except for one, has been uh, below one part per billion, which is quite low. You guys, when are you guys called in 
to to do testing, lead poisoning testing. How how do you uh, get involved in in that process? So the way the process works for us is at a child's routine checkup. So that could be at you know one year old, two year old. Hopefully it would be a little bit sooner with that with with their you know re- regular pediatrician. Um, they'll be doing the blood work, and one of the things they're going to be looking for is uh, elevated levels of lead in the blood. And then uh, so the labs that <clears throat> they do the work, they will forward any high results over to the Ohio Department of Health, and then we work. Um, in contract with Ohio Department of Health, um, they'll send us the information of those patients, and then we reach out to them and start the process of uh, helping minimize those blood lead levels that are elevated in those children. What and, What is your staffing like over there? Do you uh, are just is it called is it just you and Philip, or uh, how many? How many? Uh, what's your staffing like in order to? Because these investigations seem like they're pretty intense. Sure. Yeah, we have we have a full team. Um, we got a program supervisor, Chris Bragg, um, and then it's Philip as our program manager, um, myself as a program coordinator, and then we have uh, four field staff that work with us to uh, complete all of our investigations and follow-ups. You've been notified that this child has high level of lead in their system. When you go into that home, what is it? Walk us through your investigation. Well, we have a you know a couple different kinds types of scenarios. You know, we have kids in older homes, and we have kids that are not in older homes. And um, in the kids in older homes, by and large, that's the most common uh, source is the actual paint in those homes. Um, and uh, and then, but with everybody we ask, we go through a questionnaire um, and it helps us collect some information that helps us narrow down what possible sources may be of that poisoning. You know, where they live, where they visit, you know, how long they've been living in their property, as well as we ask questions about medicines and remedies and cultural sources, makeup, if people around other sources of lead, like shooting sports, hobbies, scrap metal collection or work, stuff like that, potential occupational exposures, um, which can, we can take home lead to the family that way on your clothing. And then we do an actual investigation of the home. In older homes, we'll do dust wipes to see how much lead is in the dust in the home, and mm-hmm. especially on windowsills and, and floors. And then we have a special device that we use uh, that measures the amount of lead in paint um, so we can determine if the paint is hazardous. So when you say the paint, you mean, is that like required since it's a home? Is it like a scraping that you would be doing? X-ray fluorescence device. So it actually shoots little x-rays in a small, like two centimeter square area and measures the amount of lead in the paint in that small area that we targeting. Oh, um, it's high tech. <laughs> yeah, it's very high tech. Quite expensive device too, but it gets good, gets good results. What are the penalties for someone that you guys have like uh, either shown them where there's lead poisoning and they failed to correct it? Yeah. Um, so we try to work with the homeowners as much as we can. We're not we're not in the business of uh, coming down on taxpayers um, immediately and punishing. Um, so the process is, you know, once we identify the issues in the home at the uh, those elevated blood lead level cases, 
um, we'll, we'll write up a, a report and then we give them a standard amount of time, a three-month allowance to correct any issues. And if they are making progress and still still working on the issues but haven't fixed it by then, um, we'll give what well, we offer up to three extensions of three months each, so and then a total of a year's time to get it fixed. Um, the nice thing about our program is um, we do work uh, very cl in close with um, the HUD, and there are grants available for the residents in Columbus um, where they can reach out providing information to the grant to see if they qualify, but those funds are available to help get those things paid for and complete that work, you know, if financial assistance is needed. So we're not, we don't come down and with a steep punishment, but when they don't get the issues resolved at the end of the extensions or out at the end of their time, um, we do move to uh, environmental court and uh, Judge Mingo is pretty, pretty critical on uh, the residents that don't um, comply with the orders we place on the homes after their time is fired. If you guys excuse me for a minute, we need to take an identification break. Hi, this is Ernest Kelly with the Faith Thomas Foundation. You're listening to The Sale on 94.1 FM, WGRN, and WGRN.org worldwide. Listen to us every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Hey, I, I do have a follow-up question. Between a homeowner and someone that has rental property, which, is, which have you found in, in your experience to be the most uh, non-cooperative? Um, you know, we don't keep statistics on that, but, you know, eventually they go to court, and the court will help people move along to uh, correcting the hazard. So um, if, if people are not cooperating. You know, the court's very understanding. And Cody mentioned a grant program. It's called Let's Save Columbus, and has a, they have a HUD grant to do free lead hazard control work in the home. So they'll come in and actually make the home lead safe. And it's I call it free home rehab. They frequently, it means if you have lead painted doors and windows, you get free doors and windows. Even if you have like old wood siding that has lead paint on it, that means you're gonna get new vinyl siding. Um, they're going to make that home safe generally for 10 to 50 years, depending on, you know, the, the work that's the type of work that's done, like siding, you know, that's probably a 50 year pick. And homeowners and landlords can qualify for this grant. There is an income requirement. It's 80% of median income. So for a family of four, that's about almost $68,000 for combined household income. And so a lot of our families do qualify for this. Some don't. And if they don't, sometimes if you're a homeowner occupant, you can do the work yourself if you feel qualified to do that and, and can do it safely. And uh, uh, or you can hire, you know, someone to do it for you. Um, if you're a, a proper, if you're a rental, if you're a landlord, you have to use generally have to use a licensed lead abatement contractor to do the work, which is what the grant would do for you if you qualify for the grant. If I was looking for like a lead uh, lead poison abatement company, what would I look under the? Do you guys have a list of companies that you work with, or you can recommend on your website? Yeah, well, um, we do have a list available. Um, I don't think it's posted on the website, but it can be certainly available at request. But if you're just doing a general Google search on the internet, you could type in certified lead abatement contractor. You know. Depending on where you're at, you'd probably search for Columbus in our area. Thank you. Share with us, uh, our listeners, what your website is, how they can reach you in addition to a phone number. The easiest way to reach us is www.columbus.gov forward slash lead. So that's columbus.gov, G-O-V, forward slash L-E-A-D. 
and that lists uh, some links uh, to our program as well as down at the bottom of that page is some resources including the grant we mentioned and uh, they can call our hotline at 614-724-6000. I want to go back for a minute. I think it was Cody uh, that mentioned something about food and I have read that there's some foods that have lead in it, and then there's some foods that can help reduce the amount of lead in your body. Corey, can you explain a little bit about that for me, please? Sure thing. The right food regulations here in the United States, they're really good about maintaining the uh, keeping lead out of the food. But that's not always true for um, foods that are imported. So a lot of foods you can find at like the international grocery stores or those little international convenience marts. Um, they're not subject to the same regulations because they're being imported in. Um, so those are some things to be wary of. Um, over, to, over time, we've found that some just different items from those international stores, such as little candies and things like that, turned up high with elevated lead levels. Lead can be often found to have like a sweet flavor to it. So some manufacturers have added that over time to enhance their flavors and things like that. And for color also, because it can produce some really bright reds and yellows, things like that. And it's been a bit of a problem lately as well. So uh, we've had some you know, high lead levels in turmeric, um, and we don't recommend buying that from small import stores. I, th I think it's safe, safer to buy that from a bigger box retail store. So what are some of the foods that can help reduce the lead volume in your body? Yeah, there's all kinds of good foods. The main ones you want to focus in are... Um, Foods that are rich with iron, calcium, and vitamin C. So if you're actually deficient in iron, calcium, or vitamin C, the lead will act in place of those three, um, and that's where it will be stored in the body. So it's important to keep those mm. levels high in your body, and that will help prevent the lead being absorbed. So for young ones, especially under six, we want to have them get all their iron, calcium, vitamin C, so different foods such as Iron-fortified cereals, that's a really big one, especially for the young ones if they're a little bit picky. Um, you know, dark leafy greens, so if you have spinaches and kale, things like that. Veggies and fruits, citrus is very good. You know, tomatoes, anything high in that vitamin C. Lean meats, things that aren't high in fat, so you'd want to look for those leaner cuts. Um, fish also is a good one. Any of those is going to help get the iron, calcium, and vitamin C levels up in your body and help fight that absorption of the lead. When Philip mentioned turmeric, man, my heart just sank because <laughs> my wife got turmeric, all kind of turmeric in this house. <laughs> I, I guess my, my that one hit home, is, close to home. Yeah, yeah. I guess my question is when they put uh, lead in the in food to, you know, for the different applications. Are, are they supposed to list that on the label somewhere? Is that something that's required? Required, but it's illegal to add lead to to foods, including, you know, countries where uh, that may be, you know, the product may be coming from. Most of those countries, you know, it's outlawed as well. So it's, it's added, it's added probably, you know, with some illegal intent. Oh, I got you. Now, this question I'm asking for a friend. Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't say that. <laughs> yeah. How do you know? Go ahead. If, if you have, how do you know if you have lead pipes in your house? Uh, 
Well, you can do a visual inspection looking for gray or dark uh, pipes um, that are easily scored by a key or some other hard object, should, you know, because lead is soft. Um, you can also test the water in your from your pipes to see if they're, you know, what the lead content, if any, is is there. So, and if you're going to look for lead pipes, you know, you should also make sure you look where the pipe comes through the foundation. There are some lead service lines coming from the street to your house. And the City of Columbus Water Utility has a map of, of homes that they believe may still have some lead service lines in the ground there. Wow, that's good information. Thanks, so. So if you're if you're taking a shower, and can you absorb it in your body from taking a shower? And can you use like filters? Uh, generally, no. Um, it's not easily absorbed through the skin, um, and uh, so taking a shower or a bath isn't a problem. Yeah, water filter. So the water filter should be certified to deal with lead, to take to capture the lead. Um, and then, of course, you know, you should, you know, dispose of the water filter and, and replace it, you know, when the lifespan of that water filter is done. So there are some good water filters out there that do capture lead. Um, and you just got to make sure that, you know, it says lead in the fine print and it's certified. Is that going to be on your website? I mean, can they find, you know, what type of filters to use on your website? I'm going to even go back a little bit further here. Ernie was talking about, like, when you go out uh, and you do your investigation and your investigation shows that this house has lead in it, you know, you're going through the whole process and the procedure. Will the homeowner be able to sell their house as, you know, as is? Will they be able to sell their house before they finish updating everything or uh, there's nothing to stop the homeowner from selling the house. By law, they have to disclose what they know about lead. So if we tested and given them the report, you know, they'll have to disclose that report or at least those testing results. Um, and, of course, in any home transaction, uh, people have the, – the buyer has an opportunity, I think, up to a week to pay for their own lead inspection. And in, in general, if you're buying a home, an older home – especially a home built before 1960 or 1950, um, you should just assume there's going to be lead hazards there. Um, you can pay for a lead inspection to find out exactly what surfaces have lead. And, you know, if, if like windows and doors and floors and stairs impact friction areas like that are mm -hmm. hot with lead, um, you should plan on probably replacing those. Okay, so then it becomes the, home, the person who's buying the house to then correct the deficiency that your organization might have found. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, whoever the owner is. So if an owner buys the home, they're assuming, you know, the risk with that property. And if we have orders on the property, correct those hazards, then then it'll, the the owner just picks up right where the, uh, the new owner picks up right where the old owner left off. Does lead impact adults? And if so, how? Well, with adults, um, you know, there are some specific things uh you know, that it causes like eye disease, kidney disease, hypertension. Um, and that could even be from exposures you had early in life. If you had a long exposure at a high level, you know, you, it, get, it can get absorbed in the bones. And as you age and get older, you start, you know, those bones turn over. You know, we have uh, those, those bones that don't turn over very quickly, but we can get stuff, nutrients from those later in life. And then there's occupational exposures and exposures from hobbies. The occupational exposure limit is in, you know, some people criticize, you know, it's somewhat high, and there have been calls for, you know, lowering that. It is an old level. Uh, lead 
poisoning is it just found mostly in poor economic areas of the city or is it pretty standard or pretty evenly found you know throughout uh, a, a area it's not generally just commonly found in like lower income areas but there are hot spots um, particularly in Columbus um, where we do find it and that just happens to be in those lower income areas but I mean we've had cases pretty much most most areas throughout the city but there are definitely certain areas that are lower income that um, are affected more in our in our like yearly counts so in okay. general it's going to be our the pre-1950 areas are, are you know of Columbus for housing is, is going to be you know a higher risk area and, and is that because now they have a lot of restrictions on what you can uh you know put uh manufacture uh material use lead and manufacturing and paints and that kind of stuff is that is that why now um well i'm not sure uh you're asking that we have different products now that don't have lead or the this, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, is, is that the reason why it's, it's found in, in in houses mostly built before a certain era? Is because of uh, we've pretty much banned lead from being used in the manufacturing products of things like paint or yeah, you know aluminum yeah. and that kind of stuff. So, in actually, the U.S. government made an agreement with the paint manufacturers um, in the mid 1950s to, stop, to actually stop marketing lead paint for residences. But it wasn't actually banned until 1978 for home use, um, and it was still used, and it still can be used today for like commercial industrial purposes. But but a lot of businesses and industries have moved away from it because it is a hazard. And now we have better products out there that are a good uh, substitution for, you know, those lead-containing products. Um, but lead was very popular and was marketed heavily as being healthy uh, from, you know, especially the 1920s on up. You know, and, and the kids who did get poisoned, you know, they were described as, well, those households are, you know, dirty, poor households. And so it was very discriminatory you know, practices and, right. you know, that were used back then, you know, any, any child can get poisoned. You know, we have poisonings across the income strata in, in the city of Columbus. Well, you, you answered my second question, because I was going to ask, was there any positive use for lead? But you, you, you've answered that by well, saying, you it, know, why it, was, it, why it was before. Yeah, go ahead. It was a great product. It worked great. That's why it's still a problem in houses today, you know. You know, a hundred years later, we still have, uh, you know, that, that paint is, you know, becoming a problem and it's held up pretty well, right? I, I guess it's, it's it's good in certain quantities, I guess. Is that a the risk statement? outweighs the reward. Okay, got got you. You know, as, asbestos was one of the, you know, we've, we've heard about the damage it's done over the years. Compared to lead, which is worse between lead and asbestos this year? Or have they done any kind of uh, studies on that? Uh, Philip or Cody, either one of you can answer that. Well, in, in public health, we, we, we don't like to compare diseases. You know, and they're all significant. Okay. 
they all have horrible outcomes, you know, a lot of them do, right. you know, lead does because, you know, it can, it can cause somebody not to graduate from high school and what kind of life are you going to have? You know, I mean, your, your outcome in life is, is very limited. You know, if you don't graduate from high school, asbestos can cause, uh, you know, a type of cancer. So, um, which doesn't show up until, you know, many years later after exposure generally. And of course that's very serious, but not easy to, to weigh these different diseases and, and uh, they're, you know, they're all, they all deserve our attention. Thanks. I appreciate that because I was, I, I, I've always wondered about that. And I'm, you know, I've never really wanted to call and ask, but I thought if I ever got the chance to ask someone in your area, uh, which one, but, but yeah, I appreciate that. Answer. Cody, is there any last minute words you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, nothing. Nothing too grandiose, but just make sure, you know, you're having your young children tested and they're getting out to their pediatrician and they're having their regular visits. That's the most important thing. Um, awareness is key with this issue. Philip, do you have any last minute things that you'd like to share with our listeners in addition to, once again, providing your website and your phone number? Um, yeah, get out, get tested. You know, if, if your kids haven't been tested at age one and two, um, you know, get get them tested before age six. And it's so important because otherwise you may not know that your child's affected and you may not see the result or the detrimental results till later in life. Our website is www.columbus.gov forward slash lead. And our hotline number, anybody can call us and ask questions, is 614-724-6000. I do thank the both of you for coming on today. I've learned a lot. So with that being said, this The Faith Thomas Foundation would like to thank you for listening to The Cell. We broadcast on WGRN 94.1 FM every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. You can also stream us live on Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. on WGRN 94.1. For more information on the Faith Thomas Foundation, please visit our website, Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is Faith Thomas. F-D-N.